Hey, I'm Jonathan Alexander. And I'm Elena Getzenberg. And you're listening to Panthers Tracks. What's up, everybody? So um, today we have a special guest. And, you know, Jordan is actually our first uh, interview, actually, of the podcast. We've done 20 episodes so far, but he's the first <laughs> person we interviewed. Uh, so, you know, he's a special guest. Um, uh, welcome, Joy. Thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Yeah. For, for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, Jordan is a senior draft analyst for the Draft Network, uh, former Division One quarterback at my alma mater, North Carolina Central University. You know, I, me and Jordan went to, went to school together. I covered him, too, um, when I was writing for the student newspaper, and he was a quarterback. And remind me, what year did you graduate, Jordan? So I graduated twice. I graduated in 2013, and I got my master's in 2016. So I'm a, I'm a double eagle. Nice, nice. Yeah, so we, we graduated the same year. I didn't go to the grad school. I didn't feel like doing the extra work. Um, <laughs> and I, went, I couldn't sit through classes too much longer, but – but anyway, um, again, we appreciate you being here, um, and we we wanted to really ask you, you know, about this draft. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we're looking. You know, the Panthers have a huge position of need at cornerback. They they've got to figure something out there. Do you feel like this class there's someone worth taking in the top ten, or how do you kind of see? Do you think you know? Is there a clear guy, or you know, is it a deep enough class that there maybe isn't someone who stands out? Well, I don't know about top 10, and the three guys that you hear about at the top of the draft are Patrick Sertain the second, J.C. Horn, and then Caleb Farley, and everybody heard about the injury with Farley with the back injury and the back surgery. It's the second one since 2019. He missed a couple games during the back stretch of his final year there. He opted out last year, of course, but, you know, there's no Jeffrey Okuda like we have seen in years past, and it's similar to Edge Rusher where we don't have a, a Miles Garrett or a Joey Bosa or a consensus guy at the top, so... If I had to guess right now, I don't think they would go cornerback at eight just because I don't think there's a guy that's necessarily that clear-cut type of player. But in the second round, there's plenty of options. Um, Eric Stokes Jr. from Georgia definitely could be an option that's there. Um, and there's plenty of other guys that they could go with that second-round pick. So so would you kind of classify it as like maybe not the top heavy, like you said, in the years past, but is it deep past the second round? Or do you think they'd kind of have to address that maybe day two? I think it's deep past the second round and like I said the consensus three guys at the top you know who those three names are but there's some good players you can find on day two or even day three depending on where they address it I know there's probably maybe a little bit of outrage if the Panthers go defense early on just because every single draft pick for the first time ever in the modern draft era was with the Panthers last year I think like the first time since 1967 that was the first time ever a team spent every single draft pick on defense so there may be some outrage if they go cornerback at eight <laughs> yeah so you know speaking of outrage you know, I'm, I'm curious, what, what was your initial reaction when you saw that uh, trade for Sam Darnold? Uh, it made sense, honestly, the more and more that I sat on it. And I'm not one to initially react to trades. I kind of like to think through it a little bit just because we live in a hot take world where everybody wants to get their instant reaction out right now. But the more you thought about it, the more it made sense just because there were rumors out there that the Panthers were in on the Matthew Stafford trade. And then I think the worst kept secret was you know, David Tepper's love for Deshaun Watson before everything that's going on with him now. So they obviously were going to be in the market for a veteran quarterback. And I think the Panthers probably tried to trade up 
to three before San Francisco got there. And then we know Atlanta's not going to do business with them with the fourth overall pick just because that's an in-division foe. So they're not going to make a deal with them to help them uh, get their quarterback of the future just because they're going to be playing them twice a year. So I think them trying to get a quarterback was definite, and they just wanted a veteran. They really didn't like the options that they were going to get potentially at eight. So I think they wanted a veteran. And with Sam Darnold, I still think he has promise. A guy that's only going to be 24 years old entering next year. They've already decided, I think they plan to exercise the fifth-year option. So they want to give themselves a two-year window to figure out what they have with Sam Darnold. And, you know, everybody knows about stuff with Adam Gase of where it kind of was a toxic environment with the New York Jets and then a locker room there. There just wasn't a lot of talent, so to speak, as far as protection and then the weapons that he had there. So he enters a much better situation with the Panthers as far as coaching. I think Joe Brady, a guy that's a proven quarterback developer, what he did with Joe Burrow at LSU, I think he's going to try to relight some of that magic with Sam Darnold and tr- just figure out what he does well. And then this is the be- best weapons that he has had, in my opinion. He kind of gets the relight that fire with Robbie Anderson. They had a really good connection when, when Robbie was there in New York with the Jets. Um, DJ Moore is a really nice option. And then we know what Christian McCaffrey brings to the table when he's healthy. So I think this is the best type of weapons that he's been surrounded with as well. So the deal definitely made sense to me. Yeah, we, we did report that. You know, the Panthers wanted to get it at number three and, and the San Francisco 49ers when they made that trade um, kind of set that standard and and and, and really uh, increased that price range to trade up. And and definitely that's true. You know, Falcons wouldn't be willing to make that trade with the with the rival team. But as, as far as Sam Darnold, Darnold goes, where did where his where did his strengths lie? If you've seen him um, on tape and and. And where does he probably need to get a little better? Uh, I'll just start. I'll just start with the positives. Um, very strong arm. That's something that you notice about him. He he has a lot of translates, a lot of traits that really translate to the next level. Uh, as far as the off-platform throws, being able to throw under pressure and then be strong from the pocket, that's something that you notice about him. A very smart individual as well. Um, had a very successful career when he was at USC, but the biggest thing that Sam has always struggled with is just decision-making and then the turnovers. That was the big thing that worried you a lot about him coming out of USC. I think he had like 17 interceptions his last year when he was coming out of USC. So the, the decision-making part is just something that has always been uh, his, his bugaboo and his weakness in a sense. So I think Joe Brady, that's something that he really needs to work on as far as getting the ball quick. Uh, quickly out of his hand and then just limiting some of the stuff that he has to digest from a playbook standpoint and then just tell him like just get the just get the ball in your playmakers hands and just let them do what they do so like I said I think Sam can succeed in this environment and it's set up for him to have success but if Joe Brady and you know this host of weapons can't get the best out of him then of course you know you're gonna have to make a decision after that but the the Panthers have set themselves up well as far as only limiting themselves to Sam Darnold with this two-year window. So they're going to be able to find out quickly what they have in him. For sure. I was curious too, you know, you kind of just talked about how he's going to have all these weapons around him. And I think a lot of what we saw, you know, you heard about his time with the Jets was maybe the offensive line and the weapons around him weren't up to the standards. With that in mind, like, do you think tackle with the eighth overall pick makes the most sense? Or how would you kind of use, you know, that first round pick? Yeah, I would be surprised if it wasn't an offensive tackle at eight, whether it's Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern, or Panay Sewell, the very talented offensive tackle from Oregon. And I just don't see a situation of where they can go out there with Greg Little 
And then, you know, Cam Irvin as the start and left tackle, either one of those guys, especially when you invest that heavy amount of draft capital in Sam Darnold. And that's his blind side as well. So you want to bring in some new blood and you want to bring in a talented player that he can grow with as well. You, you mentioned you can't see the Panthers not taking an offensive tackle, um, you know, at number eight. You know, I agree with that if they stay at number eight and if Slater and Sewell are there. Um, uh, so, you know, but let me ask you, do you think Sewell could fall past five? Could you see the Bengals actually passing up? I know I saw some people thinking uh, the Bengals could take Jamar Chase. Could you see Sewell actually falling from five, I think from five he, to eight? I think if he gets past the Bengals at five, I think there's a situation of where he could fall just because I don't think Miami's going to take him at six. I think they're probably going to look for a weapon for two or something by Loa. Detroit is a wild card at seven. They could go quarterback. They could go corner. They could go wide receiver. Nobody really knows just because of the state of the roster right now. They they need so much help in so many areas. Nobody really knows what they're going to do right now. They've been very secretive. It's, it's been really hard to get any inside information out of there. So I think if he gets past Cincinnati at five, I think he, he may be he may land in the lap of the Panthers, and I think that would be a home run selection for them. Where do you like rank uh Rayshon Slater on your list of uh top prospects, overall top prospects? Because I, I you know, I've seen somewhere where he's pretty high up. Some people even think he's better than Sewell. Most people don't. But um and Sewell actually talked about it. But you know, I wonder if that's a, a really quality pick at eight. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, there's no way they can try it. Uh, Greg Little or um, Cam Irvin out there to protect Sam Darnold's blind side. So I would be really surprised if the offensive tackle of some sort is not the pick at eight, but it's kind of like choosing your favorite sibling between those two. Or if you have two kids choosing your favorite kid, you really can't go wrong with either one just because they're really talented individuals. I like Sewell better than Slater, and that's not a knock against Slater. I think both of those guys are worthy of a top 10 selection. And like I said, if either one of those guys are the pick for the Panthers at eight, it, it, it would be an A-plus for them. I feel like a lot of Panthers fans just hear those names and like, you know, hear people talking about them and not really maybe know what the difference is or, you know, what, cause people, you know, don't watch enough offensive line tape in my opinion, but like, what, what do you say Sewell does well? And what would you say Slater does well? Well, I'll just start with Slater, um, a terrific athlete. And, you know, at six foot four, about 320 pounds, you notice his movement skills are just unreal for a player of that size. And for him to opt out last year and still go out and test the way that he did to show that he's in tip-top shape and do everything the way that he did as far as from a testing standpoint, it's just a credit to just show his natural athleticism, a very aware type of player. And then all the top flight competition that he did face when he was at Northwestern, he passed the test with flying colors. And that's exactly what you want to see, especially from – you know, there's not a lot of super superb draft picks to come out of Northwestern as far as from the offensive standpoint, as far as first round selections. I don't think they have one in a very long time, but they have a chance to actually have two guys this year also with Greg Newsom the second. So um, but Slater is a, a terrific prospect. And, you know, with Penesu, a very young individual, the last time we saw him, he was in a similar light as far as with Slater. Uh, both of those guys opted out this year and he'll enter the NFL actually as a 20 year old rookie. So everything that he was doing at Oregon he was 18 and also 19 years old so and that factors a lot into draft rooms as far as um, when you're talking about rookie contracts let's say he 
turns out to be a terrific left tackle for the Panthers. He's going to sign his second deal at 25 years old, and then he may get two extra contracts after that as well. So youth does matter in draft room. So you're getting a very young prospect, but he's very mature overall as far as his game. Very good hand usage. His lower half is very active. Um, he can play guard or tackle, even though he played left tackle predominantly uh, at Oregon. So, like I said, you can't go wrong with either one of those guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. You, both of them you sold me on – you sold me on both with those descriptions before, yeah. and I already liked them. So yeah. <laughs> that was I, that was a yeah. I didn't think about that. He won he won the Outland Trophy when he was nineteen. That's nineteen years old. That's crazy. Like I I, I didn't really even think about that. That's a, that's an interesting point right there. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm wondering, how do you in your latest mock draft? How did you have the top 10 shaking out? Because I think the biggest question mark for me is, is what are the Falcons going to do? I mean, the Lions are wild card too, but I, I'm curious about what the Falcons are going to do at four. Do they trade that pick? Do they stay there? Do they take a quarterback? Do they take Kyle Pitts? How did how did your latest mock draft have the, have the top 10 going? So I haven't done one since the big trades were made with the Eagles and mm-hmm. Dolphins and then um, the other trades that were made as well. Uh, so it's been so long ago. It was like a month ago. So I don't really remember exactly how the top 10 shaped out, but I'm going to have my latest one out the Monday of leading up to the draft. So okay. I think it's the, the 25th, if I'm not mistaken, that Monday leading up to the draft. So that'll be my next one. But Atlanta, another team that's really hard to get inside information out of. Nobody really knows what they're going to do. And they're in an interesting situation just because Matt Ryan had a good year last year. So it's not a situation of where they need to find the heir apparent right now, just because I think Matt Ryan has two to three good years left in him. And I don't think they want to be a situation of that, a situation where Green Bay found themselves in this past year where they took a first round quarterback, but we may never see him for the next three to four years just because of how good the player is in front of him. So if I had to guess, I think they go Cal Pitts, but it wouldn't surprise me if they do end up taking a quarterback just so you can get that young guy in the building if they want to move on from Matt Ryan eventually. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I was interested in, you kind of mentioned how a couple teams, you know, the Falcons, the Lions, maybe we don't really know what direction they're going to go. It's a little secret. Do you think we're going to see, and maybe that's a separate thing, but any impact from not having the combine, from not having a normal schedule this offseason, like in the draft, like are we going to notice something or is it kind of just more in the process of getting to that point? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of safe selections. And what I mean by safe selections, especially early on, um, not a knock against any guys that opted out, but you're starting to see some of them fade a little bit. I know Gregory Russo from Miami is something that a lot of people have kind of cooled on. You're starting to see Michael Parsons slip a little bit as well. But some players, they help themselves, even though they did opt out. Panay Sewell, Jamar Chase, and some others, Rashawn Slater as well. So it's kind of back and forth, kind of a seesaw effect of some players did hurt themselves by opting out. Some, their stock really didn't move the needle any at all with them opting out. And what I mean by you're going to see a lot of safe selections is that whenever you're selecting in the first round, you kind of want to, I like giving sports references. You kind of want to make sure you get on base. And what I mean by get on base is, you know, take a player from, let's say from Alabama or Clemson or somebody like that. And that's not knocking the small school players, but you don't really want to be super risk adverse with players in the first round. You just want to make sure you get it, get on base. You don't want to aim for that home run. Like you kind of do maybe somewhere on day three. So, Players like Patrick Sertain, the second, you know exactly what you're getting with him from day one. Panay Sewell, you know what you're getting from day one as well. So I think you're going to see a lot of teams that take those safe picks that performed really well at their pro days. 
Another question I had, you know, just speaking, I just thought of it based on what you were saying. Why, why do you believe uh, people are so uh, kind of all over the place on, on where Justin I, Justin Fields is? I saw you had a great analysis on him a couple of weeks back online, but, but why are people kind of unsure? You know, early on you saw him as high as number two. Now you're kind of seeing him even as low as number 15. Um, why are people all kind of all over the place on Justin Fields? I mean, we're all smart and we're not naive um, on, on this discussion together. And we know the dilemmas that black quarterbacks do face from time mm-hmm. to time. But it, it's not just black quarterbacks. I will say there's always a prospect or two that ends up turning out to be a punching bag, um, mm-hmm. so to speak, for lack of better terms. We saw it with Daniel Jones, if you guys remember when he was coming out of Duke. We saw it with Lamar Jackson when he was coming out of Louisville. So there's always this one or two prospects that end up being a punching bag that everybody likes to get out their narratives on. And Dustin Fields seems to be that guy this year. He's still the second-best quarterback in the draft to me. I'm a big fan of him. If I was the Jets, I would happily take him at two. But there just always seems to be that one prospect that everybody likes to turn into a punching bag of where they want to get their narratives out about them. And Justin Fields tends to be that guy this year. You think he, you think he drops past um... – Seven. You never know. With quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah. You know, the yeah. whole Ohio State quarterback thing going on with him of how none of them have ever panned out. And there's just so many different narratives going on right now. You know, the closer that we get to the draft, it's only going to get worse. Like some of the stuff that you're hearing right now is going to get 10 times worse. And I'm just ready for April 29th to get here, honestly. <laughs> hey, same, man. Same. <laughs> that, same. that Ohio State narrative is the weirdest thing to me. It's like, I what like people this is not the best time of year so yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. I feel you on that I was going to say I actually did write an article about that in January just because I knew it was going to come of the Ohio State mm-hmm. narratives and you know how Justin Fields is so much different than the quarterbacks that have come out of there in the past and the thing that I like to say is that they kind of tried to mold athletes into quarterbacks when they were coming out of Ohio State. And if you think about Braxton Miller and Terrell Fryer and Troy Smith and uh, all these other guys that have come out that eventually ended up switching to other positions. So that goes to show you that they were originally athletes prior to being quarterbacks. And I think Fields is the exact opposite of where he was already polished as a quarterback, but he combined that athleticism that all those guys possessed as well. And that's how he's different from Dwayne Haskins as well. Haskins, Haskins wasn't a super mobile guy by interest for the imagination. And I think that's where him and Justin Fields are completely different. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mm-hmm. I feel like people, you know, the lumping them together is like you can't like we've seen Alabama quarterbacks. Some do well, some haven't done well, but we're not like Mac Jones is going to be horrible. But he, you know, that that really hasn't been a, too much a part of the conversation about him. So I think it's something for people to pay attention to about how they're discussing those things. Um, one last draft question for you, I think, is just, is there any late round guys, like day three guys, that maybe you think aren't getting enough attention that Panthers fans or just NFL fans in general you think should keep an eye on? Yeah, there, there's quite a few guys that I do like. Um, one is a local guy that I've been tweeting about a lot. I think he's probably going to go in the sixth or seventh round. And he's at a position of need for the Carolina Panthers. And his name is Franklin Mack McCain III from North Carolina A&T, a player that went down to the HBCU Combine and did really well. He did really well his pro day as well. They actually had um, their pro day at NC State. So what they did was all the small school players in North Carolina, they had their pro days at Duke, North Carolina, and then also NC State just to make things easier on scouts so they wouldn't have to travel all over the place uh, on different days as well. So he's definitely one. Also, Jalen Darden from North Texas. He's a wide receiver that I like a lot. 
on the shorter side, he's about five foot eight. But you talk about somebody that you have to hold your breath um, when when he has the ball. And then also Amari Rogers from Clemson, the wide receiver. He's somebody that I like a lot, and he reminds me a lot of Jarius Wright um, that used to play for the Carolina Panthers when North Turner was there. He reminds me a lot of him coming out. That's a really interesting comp. I, I like yeah. that one. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Jordan, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I was really interested, um, you know, coming from North Carolina Central, you know, we we, we got to grind. And and I was really interested in, in, in you went from, you know, D1 quarterback. I know you were on the North Carolina Central's coaching staff as well. How did you get in and transition to, um, you know, draft analysts and, and how did you become interested in that? Yeah, and I love telling the story just because I kind of fell into this occupation by accident, honestly. And I always wanted to be a head coach. Um, that's something that I've always aspired to be when I was coaching. And I'll just go back and tell my entire story. So I started off as a quarterback at North Carolina Central. I didn't have any pro aspirations or anything. Um, I wanted to walk. By the time I was 30 years old, I got tired of taking those hits. So um, I transitioned right into coaching. That's where I was able to perform as a graduate assistant. I was able to get my master's degree as I told you guys pre-show, um, and I coached there for five years. I coached quarterbacks and running backs as well, was able to be a part of a great staff. We won three MEAC championships when I was there, first time I've ever been a part of a championship team overall, um, developed a lot of relationships as well. But the, the blessing in disguise for me as a coach was when I was a recruiting coordinator. That's where I really fell in love with scouting. You start to see formulating teams, you're sitting in living rooms of prospects. You're you're getting to meet moms and dads and just seeing what makes players tick overall. And that's really why I fell in love with scouting. You see all the puzzle pieces come together of a championship team as well. And that's really where I formulated my love for scouting. But um, something that a lot, of people, a lot of people don't really know about me is that I've always had a love for journalism. Um, I kept blogs when, when I was in college and then in high school as well. And then when I got confident enough, I just published it and I put it out there. And it was a website. I don't even know if it's still up now. It was called blogger.com. And anytime something happened, like sports related, I would just go and just jot down um, some my instant reaction about it. So I've always had a love for sports. Sports is something that I've done since I was little. And then the NFL draft, I've loved it back when it was two days long. If you guys remember, I would be that kid sitting in front of the TV and my parents would just be like, man, just go outside and play. Get out in front of that TV. So I would watch the entire draft from start to finish. And then I just wanted to figure out a way I could combine the two. We were unfortunately let go. We had a coaching change in 2018. And then I had my twin daughters at the time as well. So I wanted to figure out an occupation of where I could combine both of them. And then I got lucky with the opportunity with the upstart company called the Draft Network that has been very successful ever since then. So like I said, I, I got lucky and I kind of just fell into this occupation. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. It's always great to hear. Uh, m my friends would be mad if I didn't bring this up. And I've, I've probably mentioned this to you as well. I, I'll never forget covering you and then the E-line game. I'm sorry I have to bring this up. But it's just a, such a memorable quote. It was like the first quote in my story. I'll never forget. It was raining that day, and I think you were the, you were holding the ball, and it was a field goal, maybe a game winning field goal or something like that. And it was just a wet ball. And, and Henry Frazier was a coach, and his quote was, "Wet ball, low snap. Jordan couldn't get it down." And uh, my friends would be mad if I didn't, because we always like anytime we talk about Henry Frazier, we always say that quote or whatever. <laughs> But anyway, do you do you remember that game? Yeah, I do. We actually lost that game. Um, I had a play, one of the best plays of my career. 
So it was supposed to be a sack, but I landed on the guy. So he spins me, and I land on top of him, and I get back up, and I throw a touchdown. I'm not sure <laughs> if you remember that play. I, 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 like, vaguely. Like you got to remember yeah. the positive play. Come on now. Vaguely. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to go back into the clips and see if I can find that. Article. I'm yeah. sure I wrote it somewhere. Yeah. But uh, but anyway, man, it's, it's been a pleasure. Love seeing you thrive. We appreciate your time. Um, Anywhere people you know, can hey. find you. Yeah, please plug. In. Yeah, please plug everything, man. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed. That's J O R D A N underscore R E I D. You can find my work on the draftnetwork.com. I'll have my mock draft coming out the the 25th, the Monday leading up to the draft. I have my top 10 big board or top 100, excuse me, big board coming out next Monday. Uh, my finalized board with that. And then you can also find my podcast on every single platform. Uh, whichever way you want to consume it, it's called the Read Option Podcast, R-E-I-D. The Read Option Podcast. I'm going to check that out for sure. Always gives great insight. Appreciate your time, Jordan. Hopefully we can get you back on uh, sometime in the future. Absolutely. Thank you all for having me. So for our last section, we're going to do our trivia. And I have uh, two interesting questions. I, you know, I, I want to see if you can answer the first. You might be able to answer the first unless you've already seen it. Um. First trivia question, Elena, is the Panthers have four players on the 2020 roster who went to college at South Carolina. Name those four players. And here's a hint. Two remain on the roster. I did see this question, but I purposefully didn't look at the answer (laughs) because I knew (laughs) I I would be tested. Let me see if – I don't know if I can get them. So let's see. One, I did – like I knew – Three of them, yeah. um, not I, I probably would have never been able to guess it, but I knew yeah. three of them, and I didn't know one person went to South Carolina. Okay, Mike Davis. Yes, obviously Dennis uh-huh. Daly. Um, I did not know that one. Oh, really? Oh, I did not know that. Come one. on now. <laughs> I should have. Um, hold on. There's more. They're not, now that you, I'm under what, the lights. What now that you said the two? The, well, those two. I think you should be able to get the other two. <laughs> did Farrah Cooper go to South Carolina? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And then the last one is the second easiest one. <laughs> well, Dennis <laughs> Daly was very easy to me. So who are you? To... <laughs> um, hold on, I'm thinking. Who's on the roster? Offense or defense? If I tell you, oh, then... oh Joe Charlton. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if I tell you, then. <laughs> You'll get Joe it. Charlton. Oh, yeah. I got it. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only two left on the roster. They've got to restock their Gamecock count. Yeah, for sure. But uh, that was interesting. And then the other one, and I'll leave it for you guys to uh, answer if you can. Yeah, answer if you can. Um, the Panthers have beaten these two NFL teams only once in franchise history. Mm-hmm. Which two teams are they? That's a good one. Yeah. And I think I could have guessed one of them. I probably wouldn't have guessed the other. Yeah. You got to think it's someone they haven't played too, too much. But Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hint is, of course, it's two AFC teams. No no NFC South opponents. There. Yeah, no NFC Although South opponents. It feels like they haven't beat the Falcons very yeah. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. They did beat them this past year once. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, guys. We, we appreciate you listening, as always. Please... Uh, you know, check us out on all our podcast platforms. Please subscribe and we'll see you guys uh, next week. 
So that's our show. If you like this podcast and want to see more projects like this, please subscribe to the Charlotte Observer Sportscast. We get unlimited digital access to our sports section with our current deal for 99 cents for each of the first three months of your subscription. That includes coverage of the Panthers, the Hornets, NASCAR, UNC Charlotte, high school sports, UNC Chapel Hill, Duke, NC State, and more. You can find the Sports Pass at charlotteobserver.com slash sportspass.